I would invite you once again to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39 this morning. This is uh, the great story of Jesus uh, liberating the man possessed by uh, a host of evil spirits, a legion of demons. Uh, now you can, you can pretty much ignore the sermon title for this morning. I, in the middle of the week when I put the bulletin together, I was thinking we'd focus on the victory of Christ in this passage and his, his power that is on display over the forces of, of evil. And that is certainly a lesson of this passage. But as I continued to, to study throughout the week, I kept, I kept coming back to the end of this story where Christ has shown his grace to this man. He's delivered this man. And the shepherds and the people of the town and the countryside respond with, not with praise, but with fear. Uh, really with, uh, with terror. And they want Jesus out of town as quickly as possible. What's to think about that today? Why is it that after seeing the grace of Jesus, these people are afraid and they want Jesus gone. We'll think about that this morning as we come to this passage. But before we read our text, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Our Lord, we know that as we open our Bibles, we know that uh, you alone can open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to, to read and understand and to receive all that you would say to us. And so we ask that the Holy Spirit would be here, allowing us to discern and to believe and receive all that this portion of your word teaches us. I open our eyes to see the free grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may we, like this man, bow before him in wonder, love, and praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 8, 26 through 39. Let's hear the word of God. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion. For many demons had entered him and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were, was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. 
So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. And Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Some people have a phobia. Uh, David Murray and others have called it Christophobia. Phobia is uh, an irrational fear of something. So the symptoms of Christophobia are a fear of Christ, a fear of his word, and a fear of being around his people. And in its modern expression, sometimes it also includes attempts to purge one's life and purge society of anything that resembles Christianity. Christophobia. So, so why are so many people Christophobic? Why do, why do some people go to such great lengths to avoid Jesus and his word? That's the question I want us to think about together today. Before we do, though, I, I want to say, as, by way of introduction, that this phobia is not new or unique. It's here in Luke chapter 8. When, when you read of what Christ did to, to save and change and deliver this man, the response is not what you expect, is it? You expect these people to rejoice. You expect these people to give thanks to the Lord. You expect perhaps for them to bow down and worship the Lord Jesus Christ right there on the spot. But instead of rejoicing and gratitude and worship, Jesus is met with fear. In verse 34, the shepherds, when they saw what had happened, they fled to the city. And in verse 37, all the people of the region asked Jesus to leave because they were seized with great fear. 
The fear of Christ is nothing new or unique to our time. But Christophobia, fear of Christ, is, is not just something out there. It's not just something out in the world. It's in the church. It's in this church this morning. You may have been coming to church for for many, many years, perhaps all of your life. But some of you in your heart have a fear of Christ. And that's why when his word is read and proclaimed, you just turn off the switch. You know, you stop listening. You, you give your mind to other things. You don't want to hear his word. You don't want your life changed. And so you do whatever you can to keep Christ out of your life. And so this isn't something new, and it's not just something out there. But come back to the question, why in the world and why even in the church are people afraid of Christ? Why, why do so many people want Christ and Christianity to just go away? Why do people want to avoid him? I think this story gives us the answer to that question. And I want to point out five things. Why people suffer from Christophobia? Why, why are these people afraid of Christ in this story? It's the, it's the same reason people in the world and in the church today are afraid. They are afraid of a changed life. They are terrified of someone being changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is exactly why so many were afraid of Christ, because Christ changes lives. Now, sometimes he does it drastically and dramatically like he does in, in this man's life. There's a drastic and dramatic change that takes place on this occasion. And, and the story is here in Luke to, to demonstrate the power and the victory of Christ over all opposition. You know, we've seen that Jesus has power over, over sickness and death. We've seen that Jesus has power over the winds and the waves. But, but what about the hordes of hell? What about demonic powers? What about Satan himself? This story is here to say, yes, yes, Jesus has power over those forces as well. It's one thing for Jesus to have power over sickness and disease. It's another thing for him to have power over nature. It's another thing for him to have power over our great enemy, Satan himself and his minions. And Jesus has power over them too, we see in this story. So how did, how did the powerful grace of Christ change this man? There's an extensive uh, contrast between who this man once was and who this man became when the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ took hold of his life. Look at the, look at the contrast in this passage. His appearance changed. In verse 27, uh, he for a long time, we're told, wore no clothes. He didn't have the, the decency to cover up, but after Jesus, verse 35, the people saw him clothed. His location changed. 
When Jesus arrived, verse 27, steps off the boat, we're told that this man didn't live among the people. He didn't live in the city. He lived among the tombs, among the dead. He lived, as it were, in a graveyard. And verse 39, what does Jesus do? Takes him out of a life of isolation, sends him back to his people to proclaim what the Lord had done for him. His language changed. When Jesus arrives in verse 28, the first thing he does is plead with the Lord Jesus to leave him alone. Depart from me. Your very presence is a torment to me. But then the next time we hear him speaking in verse 38, he is, well, he's, he's begging Jesus. He's, he's begging the Lord Jesus, let, let me be with you where you go. I will go. I just want to follow you. I want to be with you. I want to learn at your feet. But his language again changes. Jesus sends him home and says, tell the people what the Lord has done for you. His actions changed. And we see this in two ways in this this passage and in the other gospel accounts. His actions toward himself and his actions toward others. His actions toward himself were self-destructive. We see in the other gospel accounts of this story that he used to take rocks and just cut himself open. No more. And his actions toward others were dangerous. We see that townspeople tried to shackle him up. They tried to control him, but he possessed extraordinary strength and always managed to escape. Matthew tells us that no one even bothered going that way anymore because of this man. He was a terror. And now, now he's restored. He sits at Jesus' feet and Jesus sends him to dwell among people. His his mind was changed. I mean, the, the man was out of his mind. The man was crazy and everybody, everybody knew it. But when the people saw him, what do we read? He was in his right mind. His attitude toward Jesus changed. When he first saw Jesus, he wanted Jesus to leave him alone. He wanted nothing to do with the Son of God Most High. But after Jesus showed his grace and power to save Jesus became the most precious thing in his life. His joy and his delight was to learn and listen to his master. And we can see that the governing power of his life changed. No longer was he a slave to sin and demonic forces, but he was now a a slave to Christ and the spirit that dwelled within him. And so his life was drastically and dramatically changed by Jesus. And again, you would expect the people to like this kind of change, wouldn't you? You know, you'd expect the people to rejoice when they see this man sitting down peacefully at Jesus' feet. But instead, Jesus is met with fear. The people were terrified. They want Jesus to get out of town, to leave the region as soon as possible. And so one reason people fear Christ is because he changes others' lives. The second reason, though, 
A second reason people don't like Christ being around, his presence, is because when he changes someone else's heart, it exposes their own sinful hearts. That makes sense. When Jesus changes a sinner's heart, it exposes other sinners' hearts. I think that's one of the things that's going on in this passage. You know, it is, a, it is just a downright hideous truth. But it's true that sinners always want a worse sinner to be around. Isn't that true? You know, sure, I, I commit some sins here and there that I need to be forgiven for. But thankfully, I am not like that demoniac who lives out in the tombs. He, he's the one who really needs to get help. He's the one who really needs God's grace. And you see what, what, what people are doing there. We, we set aside God's standard. We set up our own. And we, we write our own test so that we can pass. And this is one reason that people were scared and actually hated what Jesus did to this man, because it made them feel exposed. Some of you ex have experienced this in, in your own conversion. Your, your life was a mess. You were enslaved to all kinds of sin. Jesus comes in. Jesus changes your life. And suddenly you find yourself to be public enemy number one. People you thought were close family members and close friends, now, now want nothing to do with you. Why? Well, dear friends, we need to remember it's usually not about us. And it's usually all about the Lord Jesus. It's usually all about his holiness and the work that he's doing in the lives of his people. And you see, as long as this man remained a total lunatic the people of God could always look at him and say, thank God I am not like that man. But when Jesus changed this man, suddenly their hearts were being exposed. It is an ugly, ugly truth, but this is why some people in the world and it is why some people in the church do not like seeing someone's life changed by Jesus. Because it exposes our own sinful hearts, dear friends. So people have Christophobia because he changes lives. He exposes hearts. And third, because Jesus imposes the reality of the supernatural. Now, by, by this, I'm not, talking about, uh, I'm not talking about miracles. I'm talking about the reality of God. I'm talking about the, the reality of spiritual powers and principalities, the reality that there is a God and there is a devil roaming around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And Jesus' very presence imposes this reality upon the people of the Gerasenes. You see, before Jesus showed up, life, life was fine, life went on. You know, the crazed lunatic lived there in the tombs and the people came to terms with that. The shepherds fattened up their pigs to make their profits. The people busied themselves in the city. A, a, a this world focus preoccupied these people. 
But when Jesus showed up, it reminded them that there is something beyond what they can see, that there are supernatural powers at work. And I think, I think as an, just as an aside, I think this is why messages like how to live your best life now or five easy steps to becoming a better you, I think it's why they do so well in our culture today because frankly, they are devoid of supernatural power it's really just moral worldliness covered up with a Christian veneer. It doesn't, it doesn't upset, it doesn't overturn the systems of this world. And so it can be embraced even while people go on living as though God were not there and as though sin was of no consequence. It's just more world-centered, me-centered garbage that leaves people enslaved to their sin. But Jesus appears on the scene and Jesus comes declaring that you are in bondage to sin. But I have come to set the captives free. I have come to bring real salvation and real deliverance from from Satan and sin and death. And when people see this happening, when they see people's lives no longer focused on self, but on Christ, they don't want to admit it, but they are beholding supernatural powers that hold men and women in bondage and supernatural powers that set men and women free. They're being forced to recognize there is a there is a greater power than Satan and his forces, a sovereign, omnipotent God who is able to deliver captive sinners and open the prison gates. And so people are afraid of Christ because he, he changes lives. He exposes sinful hearts. His very presence imposes the reality of the supernatural. But another reason people are afraid of Christ is because he changes communities. That's what he does in this passage. Jesus upset the status quo. And he upended this community on this day. Notice, notice what happens in this story in, in verses 30 through 33. Jesus asked the man for his name, and he said his name is Legion. Now, I don't think that was his actual name. You can disagree with me if you want, but Legion, you know, is a Roman military term referring to the largest unit in the Roman army, usually between three to 6,000 foot soldiers. And so this man, when Jesus asks him his name, he says Legion, and it and it really is an indicator of his, of his condition. He was possessed by an army of demons. The, the forces of Satan have, have come upon this man. And he is only able to identify himself as a man possessed by a host of demons. It's been a while since I've used an illustration from Lord of the Rings, so it's time again. Um, this story, I, it reminds me of a character from, from the Lord of the Rings 
when uh, the scene is Aragorn and Gandalf and the forces of Gondor are, are at the, the black gate of Sauron. And Sauron is the bad guy, just in case you haven't read the books or watched the movie. And if you haven't, make amends. Um, Sauron sends out a messenger, a representative to speak to the forces of Gondor. And in the book, he is only identified as the lieutenant of the Tower of Barador. And, and uh, I want you to listen. This is how Tolkien describes him in the book. He puts it this way. The lieutenant of the Tower of Barador he was, and his name is remembered in no tale, for he himself had forgotten it and said only, I am the mouth of Sauron. That's this man. That's Legion. His entire life is ruled by this evil, tyrannical, oppressive force. And so when Jesus says, what is your name? His, his answer is basically, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, but I am a man oppressed by an army of de demons. That's my existence. Now for sure, he is a, he is a guilty sinner who needs forgiveness. Like all of, it, all of us here this morning, this man stood in need of the forgiving grace of God. But Luke wants us to see another dimension here. That this was also an oppressed man. That though he was culpable of great evil, he was also in another sense a victim of great evil. And he was totally, utterly incapable of changing his circumstances. There was nothing this man could do for himself to set himself free. He was oppressed by these demons. And these demons knew the identity of Jesus. They knew they were no match for him. They knew he is the son of God most high. And so what do they do? They, they beg Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. They ask him to let them depart instead into a herd of pigs nearby. And Jesus permitted their request. And quickly the pigs ran over a steep bank and drowned in the lake. Now that, I know that raises questions. A couple of questions. One of them, why, why didn't Jesus just, just destroy them? It's a question that comes to my mind when I read this story. That's what the demons were asking to avoid when they say, don't cast us into the abyss, of, the abyss of hell. They know that Jesus is able to do that. So why didn't Jesus simply do it right there on the spot and cast them into the abyss of hell immediately? <clears throat> I, think the, I think the basic answer of the Bible is simply that it, it wasn't time for that. We know that when our Lord Jesus Christ returns, the, the final judgment will take place. And Satan and all those who fell with Satan and those who do not obey the gospel will be cast into the abyss, cast into hell. But others, others read this story about the pigs and Jesus allowing the demons to go into them and running into the lake and drowning this herd of pigs. And, and they think, this is, this, this is really cruel. This is, this is brutal stuff. Actually, this is uh, one of the reasons Bertrand Russell, some of you know the name Bertrand Russell, who wrote 
why I am not a Christian, a famous atheist during the 20th century. This was one of his arguments why he was not a Christian, because of this passage. Jesus acts immorally here, he says. Well, I think, friends, I think that entirely misses the point of this story. Think about it. Who was this man before Jesus came? He was a man who was self-destructive, harmed himself. He was dangerous toward others. Jesus comes and Jesus delivers him, sets this man free, and now this man is able to dwell among people again. And Jesus casts out the demons. They go into the herd of pigs, and frankly, I have no idea what that means, but it must at least mean that they had control over them. And what do they do? They immediately run them over the bank to their own destruction. What is the lesson of this story? Dear friends, Jesus comes to bring salvation and restoration. He comes to make people whole again, to restore them to what God intended humanity to be. But Satan and his demons want to destroy you. Now there's a lesson for the Christian life because what is one of Satan's tactics? It is... It is to get you to believe that the commandments of Christ are harmful and that sin would actually be for your good. You see what this story is telling us, though? Actually, no, it's Jesus who intends your good, and it's Satan and his demons who want to see you destroyed. That's what's going on in this story. And I think they want to make it as hard as possible for Jesus to continue doing ministry in this area. They want the people to turn against him. So they ran the pigs into the lake and they drowned. And as soon as the herdsmen saw what had happened, they they fled to the town to tell the people what had happened. So we read the people came out to see what had happened for themselves. What is it that they saw? They saw a great change in their community. They find this formerly crazed man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they find this herd of pigs floating in the Sea of Galilee. So there's a a great change. and, And at this point, they have to decide how they will respond to what they see. At the sight of this man made well, they could rejoice and and with wonder say, who could do such a thing as this? We We need to understand who this Jesus is. We need to listen to him. We need to give our ears to him. Or they could just demand the status quo. They could... They could rejoice in this man's deliverance or they could reject Jesus and revert to the way things used to be. You know, I think it really comes down to this. What do we we want more? This is the question they faced. A saved man or a herd of pigs? Economic prosperity or changed hearts? And they chose the pigs. They they wanted Jesus gone because they wanted worldly goods more than they wanted spiritual good. They wanted their, their community 
to remain unchanged. And this is why people are afraid of Christ and Christianity, because when the saving power of Jesus breaks into people's lives, it turns their world upside down. It changes their lives. It upends worldly living. And, and it, exposes, it, it exposes the idolatry that festers in people's hearts. That's, that's what happened here. We have another example of this kind of thing. It's what happened in the city of Thessalonica in Acts 17. You remember Paul's on a missionary journey. Silas is with him and his journeys took him to Thessalonica. And Paul did what he always did. He proclaimed Christ crucified and raised. He told people about the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has died for sin and been raised in glory. And some believed. Jews and Gentiles, some even in places of high authority. And the change of their hearts was leading to a change in their lives. And that change in their lives was leading to a change in Thessalonica. And people in town didn't like it. So you remember what they did? They started a mob. They formed a mob. And they, they wanted Paul, but they couldn't find him. So they grabbed Jason and fellow believers. And they dragged them before civil authorities. And they say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You see, these people understood that when hearts are changed by the gospel... It's not good for idolatry. It's, it's not good for their prosperity. These people were making money off the selling of idols. They understood that when a person's life is changed by Jesus Christ, there is a change in desires. There is a change in allegiances. There is a change in the entirety of their lives because the gospel challenges the status quo. And the people of Thessalonica knew that. And so as people embrace him in faith, priorities change. And the world hates it. And so people are afraid of Christ because his presence changes lives. It exposes sinful hearts. It imposes the reality of the supernatural. It impacts communities. But here is the fifth and final thing. I think people are just at the core afraid of being personally changed. They are afraid that Jesus is going to get a hold of their lives and change them. You see, some people, and I think this is true in the church, dear friends, some people want a little bit of change in their lives. You know, just, just enough to fit in, just enough not to stand out. They, they want controlled change in their lives, kind of like a controlled burn. It will... We'll set fire to, to this portion of the forest and this portion of the forest, but not, absolutely not this portion of my life, people say. We want controlled change, but not the extensive change that Jesus brings in this story. So often, people don't want regenerational, saving, new life change. Change. 
that comes when a person is born again, when a person has a new heart, when a, new, when a person is united to the Lord Jesus Christ because it upends their lives. I think of, this is just coming to my mind, I think of Rosaria Butterfield. You know, some of you know her story. She was, she was a, a lesbian who taught queer theory and is now the wife of an RPCNA pastor. And she calls her conversion a train wreck. I think that's, that's right on. That's what Jesus will do to our lives, dear friends. He will turn them upside down. And people don't want the kind of change Jesus brings in this story. And so we clean up ourselves a little bit. We say, don't talk to me about change at the very core and center of who I am because, because I will not have it. But dear friends, that is what the gospel is all about. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who, at the very core of their being, in their heart of hearts, has been changed by a sovereign work of God. And sometimes that may be expressed in dramatic and sudden ways, like it was in this man's life. But in other people's lives, that change may be expressed gradually over time. But however sudden or gradual, dear friends, that change is the same. And perhaps you've grown up in the church. And, and from infancy, you know, you were baptized in the church. You've, you've heard the word of God. You've heard the gospel. I want to I say to you today, young people, that you stand in the same need as this man. A new heart. Changed at the very core of who you are. You have to be changed. Not not bits and pieces of your life, not part and parcel, but all that you are. You need a new heart. And, and we know that moralizing won't do the job. We know that churching ourselves won't give us what we need. There has to be a change in our hearts. But you see, what, I, what I've just been saying, and we know this, an unchanged heart doesn't like that. Right? It, it doesn't want spiritual change that is going to impact the way we live. It doesn't want spiritual change that's going to impact our priorities. It doesn't want spiritual change that is going to bring about a, a difference in how we speak to others and how we consume entertainment and how we live among others as the people of God. People don't want that kind of change. And that's why some are fearful of Christ. That's why some don't want Christ in their lives. And so an unchanged heart fears real, deep, personal, everlasting change. But my friends, I think this story shows us something that is to be far more fearful than that. I think it's not the changed life these people should be afraid of. It is, in fact, an unchanged life that should have struck fear into their hearts. Just think, think with me of these people who were afraid of Jesus. 
Think with me of this, of this community of people who said to Jesus, depart. Get out of our lives. We don't want you here. My friends, they are in a far, far more fearful position than this man. And do you, do you see the mercy and grace of Christ in this passage? Because Jesus doesn't leave them without a witness. This formerly crazed maniac, he turns into a missionary. And he sends him back to this people to tell, tell them of what the Lord has done for you. Tell them about me. But my friends, what these people didn't realize is that they were in a far more fearful state, rejecting Christ. And they were heading to an even more fearful state. Because the very demons that Jesus drove out of this man would one day be their very companions. One day, if their hearts remained unchanged, they would meet these demons again to their everlasting torment. Hell is a place prepared for Satan and demons and those who do not obey the gospel. And these people wanted nothing to do with the gospel. They didn't want to see Jesus again. And the frightening, the terrifying thing is that unless their hearts were changed, this would be their eternal state. These demons, they saw, they saw these demons oppress this man. They saw Jesus exercise authority over these demons and drive them out. And yet they still wanted nothing, nothing to do with Jesus. That, my friends, is terrifying. But there is something else frightening in this story. Because they say, Jesus, depart. Get, get, out, of, get out of here. And Jesus listens to them. He goes away and he does not come back. My friends, if you in your heart are saying the same thing that these people were saying, you need to realize that Jesus might just answer your request. He might take his word away from you. Now, for most of us, now for most of us, it's different. It's, we have a different experience than these people. Most of us are, are taught the word of God regularly. Most of us have regular contact with Christians. Most of you come, you know, week after week and hear the word of Christ proclaim. So, so, so what, this is my question for you today. What are you saying to Jesus? You know, are, 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 you, are you with this man? Are you like Ruth? Where you go, I will go. I, I just want to be with you. I want to learn from you. I, I've placed my life into your hands. Or are you like these people who 
with hatred in their hearts, hatred for this man and hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ, are saying, go away. I don't want you in my life. And I don't need to change. You know, I, I know a young man. Things, things looked very promising for him in his early years. He grew up in the church. He was, he was very faithful. But as he grew older, he started to make compromises. No, not, not big compromises, just little things along the way to, to the point where people were concerned. People started to speak to him. People started to warn him. But it didn't seem like there were any consequences as he walked away from the gospel, as he walked away from the Lord Jesus Christ. He was smart. He got a good job. He had a, he had a great life. And now today, when you look at him, he doesn't even have to say it. You can just look at his life and it says loud and clear, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Whether suddenly or over time, what you are saying in your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ will come into the light, dear friends. There's no, there's no fence, there's no neutrality when it comes to this passage or to the Lord Jesus. Are you trusting him? Are you, are you sitting with this man at the feet of Jesus learning from him, being changed by his word, and are you going into the world to tell people of the great things that he has done for you? See, the this, this story is really a picture of what happens when Jesus shows up. We either entrust the whole of our lives into his gracious hands, or we say, depart. And, and the terrifying things dear thing dear friends if we go into the grave saying that one day we will look upon the lord jesus christ in glory and he will speak the same words to us depart i never knew you i think at the end of the day this passage comes down to to a choice Really? Pigs or Christ? A life unchanged lived for self or new life in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, my friends, let's trust him and give our lives to him and learn from him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for for coming to us with your word. Not leaving us in darkness, but revealing to us the saving work of your son. May we all say today from our hearts, my trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ and my delight is to sit at his feet. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.